What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark Stay. And I'm Mark Devone. Today, we'd like to thank our patron of the week. Our patron of the week is none other than Ashok Banker. Thank you, Ashok, for joining our merry band of patrons. Ashok's going to be getting tons of extra bonuses, hundreds of hours of deep dives, access to all kinds of extra goodies. So if you want to be like Ashok, please pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support and become a supporter of this podcast. Mr. Stay, how are you doing? I'm okay, man. Yeah, it's good. Um, quick plug. Unwelcome, that film what I wrote about goblins, uh, is now on Shudder in the USA. Ooh, that's now, a biggie. Sh- yeah, well, Shudder is the big horror streamer. It's the USA only. Uh, I think over here, I think it's going to be on Sky Movies at some point. I don't know. I'm the writer. I'm the last person to know. Uh, I know it's on Paramount Plus in Australia for some reason. Um, but yeah, in the States, it's just gone up on Shudder. It's exclusive streaming on Shudder. I mean, you can still rent it from Apple and Amazon if you want. But yeah, and the weirdest thing has happened is that loads of people really love it. It's just so weird. You, know, this, you found this your kind market, of, haven't you? We found our right? tribe. Yeah, it's, yeah. Been, it's been great. It's been popping up in my mentions again. So it's uh, it's been great. And things like people have discovered the spoiler special that we did and they're like, where has this been? I need I need to know this ending. I need to know how the red caps were done. So, um, so yeah, that's been that's been really, really, really fun this week. So, yeah. I also good. saw as well, you posted on Facebook that uh, Rick Astley knocked it out of the park with a cover version that he did. At Glastonbury this weekend. Glastonbury, yeah. It was Rick Astley won Glastonbury. And I don't know if you <laughs> folks know, but Rowan Coleman, who's been a guest quite a few times on the podcast, uh, her husband is Rick Astley's guitarist. So it was it was just fantastic seeing him on stage, you know, doing these amazing guitar sides because he's playing ACDC and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and uh, well, did, never um, never going to give you up the big, obviously, you know, it would yeah, be a, bit yeah, of a shame yeah. if he hadn't have played that. But I seem to remember I watched the Glasto kind of highlights and... Uh, he got a massive guitar solo. <laughs> so if you saw that, you know what we're talking about. Yeah, oh, I'll fantastic. tell you what, Mark, I, I don't want to bang on about it, but I do, oh, I so miss not being able to be there. It just breaks my heart. It is such a what? Why magical... is that Mr. D? Why is that Mr. D? Why? Oh, oh, why? Have okay, you, what, have you your, been to get, Glastonbury? Get your, your drinking bin- glasses. At get your ready, bingo folks. cards ready, folks, listeners. <laughs> Because if you're new to this podcast, you don't realise I played Glastonbury three times. No, so, uh, yeah. really? Yeah, three times? It goes up every time. It? I thought it was twice. But, but <laughs> the highlight for me this year was a text that the two of us exchanged. It was about midnight my time on Thursday. This was so night. weird. It was Friday. This is so surreal. Um, and fans are back to reality. And if you haven't read Back to Reality, this is going to be giving you the reason to read it. So Mark, picture the scene. I'm going to bed. I'm putting my phone away as I always do. I was, I was, and I, and I, 
And I had a quick look on the BBC News. And the third article on the main BBC yeah. News was Glastonbury gate crashes. And I'm like, oh, got to read this. And as I started to read it, I started to think, hang on a minute. This is a scene from our this book. This is our book. Reality. <laughs> <laughs> and then I instantly texted you and I said, Mark, and literally we were reading it at the same time. Yeah, it was it whatever really it was, eight o'clock in the morning for you. Because you said, I was just reading the article. Yeah. Anyway, if you didn't see it, folks, we'll put a link in the show notes. This is beyond insanity. <laughs> so when we were... For those of you that don't know, the book, our book Back to Reality, the third act of Back to Reality is, I mean, is it a spoiler? We have to say it, right? It, it's not spoiling. It's, it's, it's the journey to Glastonbury, right? Yeah. For, for our protagonist who's trying to live out a dream of playing Glastonbury. And the problem with our poor protagonist, uh, Johanna, or Joanna, depending on where you're at in the book, <laughs> she, um, she can't get in. She can't get into Glastonbury. So her manager decides to um, tell her about a certain bloke on the uh, outside perimeter fence that she can go and see, in quotes, and hand him an envelope with some money in it. And um, <laughs> should, we just, should we just tell the story, Mark? On, I guess well, we have to. Well, I don't, I don't want to spoil it. Uh, all I can say is I went back and I read it, and I haven't read Back to Reality probably since we published it, to be honest. And yeah. I was reading going, this is actually really good. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is this is this is good. This is a good book. Um, so uh, yeah, I won't spoil it. But needless to say, uh, reality and unreality crossed crossed paths. Yeah. So I mean, all we'll yeah. say is if you if you read that story about people breaking into Glastonbury <laughs> illegally, it is actually taken from our book, and we could not believe i mean i had all kinds of mixed feelings because i felt really awful the fact that people were getting into glastonbury because they'd copied this crazy bonkers idea that we'd written about but it was literally word for word folks <laughs> it's gone really bad and it is absolutely crazy that that people even attempted this like this idea that I, mean, I really want to talk about it but we can't just okay folks it's 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 the summertime in the western hemisphere this is a summertime read oh, and, yeah. and it's actually a wintertime read isn't it mark in in uh, you know in australia new zealand absolutely it's so, but the point is read the book and then go and read the story that we'll put a link to in the show notes because um it, it, the thing that i find fascinating though is you just never quite know when you write something you don't know what it might end up doing in the in the world and that that's what's fascinating for me is that it goes way beyond just telling a story or coming up with some fun ideas. Because like you say, sometimes, um, in fact, a lot of the headlines were kind of talking about, you know, the reality, uh, fiction becoming reality in reference to the book. So anyway, we'll leave that there. Go buy the book, go read it. Um, it's, it's bonkers. Absolutely so bonkers. having come down from your Glastonbury High, uh, what, what's been going on in, in your world, Mr. D? Well... Actually, this week's been a bit of a writing week. I sat down on Tuesday with a new idea for something I wanted to write about. Now, it is nonfiction because, yeah. you know, that's been one of my dreams is to write a nonfiction book. And I cracked out 5,000 words in a day, which I don't think I've ever done. In fact, 5,000 words in one sitting. Wow. Yeah. I, it's okay. almost like, I mean, we talk about on the podcast about finding your flow. And I've been trying different angles on different things. And I find it really hard. You know, things just haven't got going but this particular topic that i started writing on it was just it just all came out 
And so it's it's really inspired me. And I'm thinking, God, if I could actually have a proper project to focus on with a deadline, because I know that that's the one thing, the, the number one thing I've learned. If I had a deadline I, to finish a project. If only there was some sort of model for setting a goal and being accountable <laughs> to people. I mean, that's a good idea for a podcast, isn't it? If only, oh, I mean, you could also just write a little bit every day. Maybe, I don't know, let me pluck a figure from out the air. 200 words a day. Well, Wouldn't yeah. that be weird? <laughs> do you know, do you Mate, know what's um, really weird? <laughs> We've heard the term cobbler's shoes, right? Or who, <laughs> right? or who, who yes. cuts the barber's hair? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I often feel like that because on this podcast, you know, um, I mean, you've got it down, Mark. You're, you're, and you, because you've got a book deal and you're writing and you're knocking down the, and you're cracking those words and you've got it. It's part of your life now. Yeah, it is. I'm so busy running the 200 word challenge. <laughs> oh, there's the excuse. Now, to be fair, he does run the academy, and that is a full time job. It is. It is a full time job. So, but I, but I've got to a point now. I've got. I definitely got to a point now where I think I need a new. I'm toying with this idea of I need a new experiment. I need oh. a year project, right? Because I think I, I really feel inspired right now. And the other thing is, I got to do this. Like I hit a decade birthday this year and it's yeah. bringing up all kinds of interesting yeah. emotions to me. And I keep thinking, if I don't do this now, I'll be regretting this in another 20 years. I wanted to do this 15 years ago when I was like in yeah, my thirties. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I've just been toying with this idea of, I've actually had this really crazy idea of creating a blog and instead of, instead of writing the book, actually writing articles around all the different things I'd love to cover. And the problem with me is I have too many ideas. Like literally I could, I could give you a hundred different things I'd love to write a, a nonfiction book on. And I just don't know what to write about. And I know this is a, we've got, a, we've got a course in the Academy for, for novel writers, which is like, what do you do when you have a million ideas? Like which one do you pick? And I've just been struggling and spinning with that for the last few years. So I've had this crazy idea, Mark, of writing a blog post about one of the subjects each week and seeing what the response is. Because I was, I, was, I was actually doing a bit of an analysis. Um, a lot of people know James Clear, the author who wrote Atomic Habits, which has been this amazing runaway success. 15 million copies of that book have been sold. He's got a mailing list of 2 million people. And it started as a blog in 2013, I believe. But he was writing yeah. about millions of different things, like the healthcare system. And then he started writing a bit about habits. And, and he noticed that the habit articles start to get a lot of traction and people really really connected that he got a lot of comments and a lot of people were engaged with it and so I thought to myself well he was in a similar position to where I am now which is what to choose to write about and I don't want to spend a year writing about something and putting a book out there and realize no one really wants to read about that because that's a year of your life that just has gone welcome to my so, world <laughs> well, <laughs> no, but it is. That is one of the biggest challenges to write in the nonfiction yeah, it world. It's about writing a proposal, getting that proposal accepted, and then writing the book with with the publisher or the editor. Mm. And you write as you go. Whereas in the in the novel writing world, it's completely different. You've got to write the whole thing, and then you've got to pitch it. In most cases, I know. Yes, a lot but of I mean, the thing there. is, if I write a fantasy novel, I know there are a certain number of fantasy of the eight billion people in the world. There's going to be a few who will want to read a fantasy novel. Yes. Whereas if you're coming up with you know, some idea about a thing, there's no, not necessarily guarantee they're going to be out yeah. there. So, so what's your plan, Mr. D? Well, I don't know. 
Because um, if you listen, 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 you can listen to the listeners. They're all leaning forward. They're going, do it, do it, do it, do it. So they all want you to do it. Because they've heard you talk about stuff before. Yeah. And, you know, about, I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to do this. So we, we need to focus you, Mr. D. We need to, we need to figure out well, what it is you want to write. I'll tell you what, give me a week to think this through. I do think something is bubbling under the surface here. I do like the idea and I want to tie it into experiments as well. That's partly what yes. the whole, because it's, it's on theme, right? With what we're doing. Um, it's around the idea, the concepts around the idea of life being, thinking of life as one big experiment. And so you don't keep beating yourself up when you fail, right? Yeah. So it's about trying okay. like it, and like learning it. and getting a bit. So there's a bit of on theme. So a lot of it's going to be linked to what we've been doing the last six years. And then some of it's probably going to be linked to my journey over the last five years, which has been kind of like a bit of a kind of an emotional roller coaster yeah, as well. Yeah, so yeah. it could be quite an interesting concept, shall I say. So give me a week. Maybe, maybe people, well, maybe the first part of the research of this is do, do, do people, are people even bothered? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's know. I'm a bothered. I'm a bothered. If I'm a bothered. <laughs> would you be interested in me? Because this is what I want. This is what I want to do is I want to make this market research led. I want to write something that people would actually people want to read, read about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because honestly, life's too short to spend a year writing. You know, I really do feel that. And when you start to get into your latter decades, should we say, it becomes a little <laughs> bit more yeah. focused, doesn't it? You don't you do have to focus you, the mind. Yeah. Right? yeah, you don't want to don't want to waste your time. Well, listeners, get in touch. Get in touch. Yeah, what do you think know. of this idea? Do you, what what sort of book should would I you love to would you love to hear to read from Mr. D? Uh, and then you can start pitching some of those ideas to us and Mr. D and, and we'll see, we'll see what sticks. So we'll see what sticks. He looks, good. he looks scared. I am worried to be totally honest, because, um, when I make these kind of, when I start thinking about these kind of things, because of what stuff I've done in the past, I can't do stuff small half-heartedly yeah and, right? and i i it's had the like same Astonbury or it's I had like the same feeling Academy. before we we did the podcast i remember <laughs> i remember coming off a skype call that's how long ago it was i don't use skype anymore um i remember coming off the skype call and thinking if i do this i have to commit to this this right. is gonna this is gonna take up a big chunk of my life and you either it's you're kind of all in or nothing and it really was like that. I was thinking I could walk away and I'm so glad I did it. It's one of the best things I've ever done. It's been great for my writing, for my career, for, you know, meeting you and all the listeners and all the people I've yeah, met off the back of it. And it was it was it was the it was the tipping point of the roller coaster, you know? It was the bit where your belly flips over, but I'm still screaming. Um <laughs> it's, it's the best thing I've done. So I know the fear. Feel the fear and do it anyway. There's an idea for a book. Um, mm, actually, I could use that. <laughs> <laughs> so let us know, listeners. Her. Let us know. Yeah. Watch this space, folks. Watch this space. Be continued. <laughs> anyway, Mark, let's dive in. Uh, talking of um, exciting, exciting things, we have a, yeah. a very inspiring interview this week, don't we? It's fantastic. We've got Catherine Faulkner, who is a novelist and a journalist. She's worked as an investigative reporter. Uh, she's won the Cudlip Award uh, for undercover work. She's the former head of news for the Sunday Times, but she's now a full-time novelist. And her debut novel, Greenwich Park, was selected as a Waterstones Thrill of the Month and is an international bestseller. And we discuss, among many other things, the importance of structure and accountability for writers adapting a British novel for the American market and keeping the reader at the forefront of your mind. Brilliant stuff. And there's one line in this interview, folks, that is worth a 
cost of admission alone. So we'll talk about <laughs> that after the interview. So let's dive in and listen to Mark chatting with the incredible Catherine Faulkner. Catherine Faulkner, welcome to the bestseller experiment. How are you today? I'm very well. How are you? I'm very good indeed. Thank you. Spring is in the air. It's blue skies and everything. It's uh, finally feel like we're turning some sort of corner. Um, but let, let's talk about let's talk about uh, your second novel, Other Mum- Mothers, which I love that this goes into the sinister world of playground mums, which if you've ever been a parent in a playground, those little cliques, those little cabals, they can be really intimidating, can't they? But you've, you've, told, a, you've told a fantastic story that, that begins with this. Tell us about Other Mothers. So The Other Mothers tells the story of um, a freelance journalist called Tash, who is kind of looking to relaunch her career after having um, a baby, having her son. And um, she's also looking for something else, which is friendship, I guess, and camaraderie in the company of other mothers. She sees these other mothers at the quite bougie playgroup that she's chosen for her son, where she's trying to get him to settle in so she can actually do some work and work on her freelance career. And they seem to have these incredibly glamorous lives and um, everything she does not beautiful houses in Highbury in North London. Whereas Tash is sort of stuck in a basement flat with a broken dishwasher (laughs) with her husband, Tom, and just can't quite see why they can't seem to make it work and can't seem to have the life that these women seem to so effortlessly enjoy. Um, Tash gets interested in the case of a nanny who was found dead in her local wetlands in North London, um, Woodbury Wetlands, which is a real place, a very Mm. beautiful place. And this death was written of this nanny called Sophie was written off as an accident, but Tash is convinced there's more to it. But in order to investigate it, she needs to... um, She needs to get her son settled in this playgroup. And these other glamorous mothers sort of invite Tash into their gang and say, well, you know, he can come for playdates. Why doesn't he become friends with our children? And their life is very seductive to Tash. And she's sort of taken aback by how quickly she's welcomed into their group. And as her investigation into Sophie's death continues, she starts to realise there may be some overlap between Sophie's life, the life of this murdered nanny, and the lives of these glamorous women. So Tash is then in the difficult position of being sort of investigating a case which involves these women that have recently provided her the friendship she's been craving. And as time continues, Tash starts to wonder, is she keeping an eye on these women or are they keeping an eye on her? <laughs> it's such a brilliant conceit because it's it's like all the best thrillers. It takes something that's kind of every day for a lot of people, you know, playground mums and and the relationships that we have, and then turns it on its head and makes it really, really sinister. Now, I don't want to put you on the spot, but you know, I've been there as a parent. You stand in the playground and you kind of think, who do I talk to here? This is all kind of awkward and it's a bit shy. And you know, ha- had you experienced that as a parent? I think we all experience those moments where we suddenly feel like we're back in the playground. Um, And I think weirdly parenthood throws you back into those situations. You know, with my first novel, Greenwich Park, was very much inspired by the experience of going to antenatal classes and suddenly being in a room with all these strangers and expected to share all these intimate things about your life. And, And then... With this new book, it was sort of start, yeah, my daughter starting playgroup and trying to get her settled there. And, the, you know, children have their own mind and if they don't want to go, they just won't go. Yeah. And so you can be in your most vulnerable, awful moments of parenting 
with your child screaming and you're trying to calm them down in front of a load of strangers who, by the way, it'd be quite nice to sort of befriend and yeah. for them to not think you're a complete nutcase, um, for them to actually maybe think you're a bit cool or, you know, and it all goes out the window because parenting is so, so crazy. So um, I found all that really interesting, just the dynamics of that, you know, because before you have children, you kind of have your own life, you have your friends, you have the people who you know that you're your people and you have your professional life and your professional friends and colleagues and then suddenly you're thrown into this completely new world and it's a great level of parenting Mm. and you're thrown into situations where you know you might the people that you know the parents at your school gate might be nothing like you or they might be from any walk of life they could be anyone you know but there is a sort of presumed intimacy so I love the tension between that and the kind of wrinkles that that creates between people and I I find it all it it might be mundane to some people but to me it's really fascinating because this is just the stuff of our lives and Mm. um I just think people and and the way that they relate to each other, especially when it's kind of polite on the surface, and then what's digging underneath that, I just find totally fascinating. It is brilliant. It's brilliant. for me. It's it's sort of Mean Girls meets Motherland. It's all of those nightmares bundled into one. It's, it's terrific stuff. <laughs> Somebody actually, another a brilliant other author, Fiona Barton, wrote <laughs> on Twitter yesterday. She's reading a proof of the other mothers. And she wrote that it was like the dark, going into the dark side of motherland. And I right. really love that. <laughs> brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Let's let's go back to where it all started, because as, as I understand, you used to make staple together books out of stories uh, and give them to parents and teachers. So, so this was this is a long this is a long time coming, this this dream of yours of, to be published. Yeah, it is for sure. I mean, I didn't even really know that what I was doing was a thing, I think, when I was <laughs> in sort of year two, year three, and I was making my staple together books, but I have, I've always written stories. I just love writing. I've loved stories. And um, it's just a thread that's, that's kind of carried with me all through life. And I think writing creatively just came really naturally to me as a child and was something that I did. And I've always done actually, whether anyone's asked me to or not, you know, but I think what's kind of sad is that it kind of goes away, you know, when you're in secondary school or, it's sort of like, right, be serious now. You're not, yeah. we're not making up stories anymore. We're studying proper books or we are learning about the components of language and it all suddenly gets a little bit colourless. And um, so I kind of thought to myself, well, I'm, I'm, I'm someone who likes to write. That's what I know about myself. So I kind of, and I was also interested in politics and history. Um, so I ended up studying history and going into journalism and I had a really fantastic career in journalism, enjoyed it thoroughly. And it was a great job for me. But secretly kind of carried on always writing, writing stories, writing. I've written lots of different things, um, most of which will never see the light of day. (laughs) And I wrote a lot of things in my as a student and in my 20s, which I sort of I knew deep down weren't very good, you know. Um, But Greenwich Park start felt different. And um, there were a few things that just suddenly changed in my life. First was that I had my first baby and I had maternity leave, which people do say it's nuts that you wrote a book on your maternity leave. But for me, I had an incredibly demanding job. And for me, it did feel like time and space, kind of mental space to explore this story. And and, and of course, you know, there's no secret. You just have to get a little bit of childcare. So once my daughter was six months old, I started getting one day a week, somebody's coming to help me. Right. And I started, used to sit down and write. And I also did this course, an evening course, um, one day a week going to the Faber Academy and that gave me a kind of structure and an accountability right. and between those two things and obviously writing a bit on weekends and my husband being incredibly supportive and helpful and having family nearby which I'm lucky with I kind of managed to put something together which felt 
which which was the first time I'd put together a first draft of a book and it I was spurred on to finish because I really felt Greenwich Park was was a good idea and I loved writing it I had so much fun writing it you know the interactions between these two mad characters Helen and Rachel I just enjoyed spending time with them really and then um and then at the end of the Faber course there's this amazing moment where you um they invite agents in to the Faber Academy and everyone who's been on the course this novel writing evening course that I was on gets to read a chapter of their book and then if any agents are interested they kind of come up to you afterwards and I had this incredible moment where lots of agents came over and said we love this and please send me the full manuscript when it's ready and that was kind of incredible for me and I I just suddenly thought oh my god you know this might be published this might be a real thing and so I went then I went back to work and I was trying to finish it which was really hard work baby I had a new job actually I went to a new job after my maternity leave um, which was quite a big job as head of news at the times and I also was trying to finish this manuscript but I had these agents in my head and I knew that they wanted it and I just it drove me on to finish it so it took me a while actually after that but I did finish something and I sent it off to agents and then and then I had lots of interest in it and and even my kind of dream agents who I sent it to, who I never expected to hear back from, wanted it. And so and and so yeah, it was extraordinary really. But um that's kind of how it all happened. Well, there's a lot to unpack, Claire. Let, let's let's take a step back. And uh, Catherine, we were talking about this before we started recording. Uh, we we both appreciate that blokes never get asked about writing with families and children that sort of thing so i you know i'm i'm aware that women get asked this sort of stuff all all the time but i do know there will be listeners out there trying to juggle family and work and what have you so when when you took that maternity leave like you say you 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 found that one day a week uh, and carved out time to write the accountability side of it who who are you being accountable to or or did that come with the the, well, the course no it's a good question i think for me the faber academy course was really great so i um, just for the structure, really, as much as anything. What, so I wrote, I started, I had the idea for Greenwich Park when I was pregnant. I was in the antenatal class and I had this idea that this was, I had already had this germ of an idea about how do you unmake a friendship? What if you make friends with somebody that you meet and then you can't get rid of them? Right. And I, I love that idea. But then it was when I was in my antenatal group that I thought, oh my God, this is the setting, right? Because it's so weird. And what if I met someone here and I was pregnant and I met another pregnant woman and then I couldn't get rid of them because we had our babies at the same time. And I just thought this would be great fun. So Very I started. Good. It's very relatable. Sorry to interrupt. (laughs) (laughs) I think think that's what's so lovely. And I've actually become this weird sort of agony on of NCT nightmares now. So now that the book's out there and it's, you know, a lot of people have read it, I get messages all the time from people saying, well, you think that was weird? You know, (laughs) you know, it's so funny. I get all these incredible stories. But um, yeah, so I, I had that idea and then I started kind of writing it when I was pregnant and then the baby was born and obviously everything goes out the window for three months yeah. at least. You know, you don't yeah, yeah, yeah. sleep, you're just in a completely new world. But luckily my baby was was not too bad, my first baby. My first baby, I say, specifically, not my second baby. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but she she did sometimes sleep and when she would fall asleep, she would always fall asleep in the pram. So I got in the habit of putting the laptop under the pram and then when we are in the park, as soon as she was asleep, I'd find a cafe, whack the laptop out, and I'd just do a bit, you know. Right. And then maybe when I was about five months, four months, five months in, I thought, you know, I said to my husband, I'd really like to to write this book, and I feel like now's the time. 
And he said, well, why don't you apply for this Faber course thing? Because I had a friend who had done it at work and, and then she'd gone and written a novel and quit in her job. And now she was being a novelist. And I was incredibly jealous of this girl. <laughs> um, so I, I just, and it kind of made me realise, you know, well, you need to do that. You know, you've got it. She's doing it. You need to go and do it. And you can do it. It's possible. It's a thing that a journalist can do. So, um, so I did it. So my husband uh, said, do this course. I'll look after her one night a week. Obviously, you just go off and do it. So I went off and did it and it was sort of 7 till 9 p.m. every Tuesday or Thursday night or something right. in Bloomsbury Square, which is lovely bit of London. Mm. Just And it was heaven just being away from the baby for starters, but also just having my notebook and pen and then using this part of my brain, talking about books, talking about writing with this like group of interesting, clever people that I would have never otherwise met. Mm. Um, who were all writing very different books. I, it was utterly joyful. And that for me was the structure. So I had that accountability every week. And as part of the course, you bring in your work and share it with people, which is terrifying, yeah. of course, because I had been kind of hiding away, right? I had all the, I even had password protected files on my laptop from my writing. So I was so sort of embarrassed of it and didn't Excellent. want to share it. I mean, who's going to go hack into my laptop and read my boring stories that I'd written? Nobody. But, um, Anyway, so that's and then once you get over that, you realize, oh, my gosh, this is incredible to share my work and have mm. feedback and have people enjoy it. And then that becomes a bit of a drug. And you think, I really want to get it published because um, and then the people in the course want to know what happens next, you know. And so it really spurred me on. And the friends I made there were brilliant. And it's a really supportive group as well. Um and we still kind of share tips and spur each other on, which is so lovely, you know, several years later. Um, so that structure was important to me. Um, but you know, if you have children, you can't, you can't write without childcare. Mm. That's it. You know, I could do a bit when she was napping, you know, and if you have one baby that works, it doesn't work on your second maternity leave. I found to my cost. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work at all, especially if there's a lockdown. Um, so, um, but you know, you, there's no magic formula. You have to have childcare and, um, it's just not talked about as a thing. Mm. And I naively even said to my accountant when I started being a proper writer, you know, and he said, well, you know, all your expenses against writing, you know, you can write them all down and we claim them. And I just said, well, what about childcare? My number one thing is I need childcare. That's all I need to write is childcare. And he was like, oh no, that doesn't count. Oh. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, because this system was invented by men for whom mm. childcare is not something they have to worry about maybe in the olden days. I know lots of men now do or are very engaged in that, but um, yeah, so... So that's just what it is. And you have to have, and if you don't have that luxury, then unfortunately, probably there's loads of books that don't get written because, because childcare is so expensive, basically. Mm. <laughs> just, you know, it's awful, yeah. but yeah. Well, it it's, it's headline news at the moment as well about mm. this. This is a, this is a time bomb that's been going off for something, you know, anyway, well, thank you for sharing that. I, I really do appreciate it. Of course, now you were a journalist as well. Um, and you know, incredible career as a journalist. What were the lessons that you took from journalism that you took into your your prose writing? Oh, so many. I mean, um, being a having been a professional writer in a very different way, but but nonetheless still writing professionally is very very makes it is helpful in a number of ways. I think you learn about 
pitfalls like cliches and things like that you know that's none of that is acceptable when you're a journalist so you you learn to kind of cleanse your work of some of that not all of it I mean you still do these things but you can you understand what casting a cold eye over your work means coming back to it looking at it critically being able to try and detach from it and read it afresh Um, you are very 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 resilient to criticism which is very important Um, you know I get these incredibly polite letters from my editors at Bloomsbury with all the things that they think perhaps we could just maybe just tweak this you know whereas I'm used to you know an, a news editor on the phone saying this is going in the bin rewrite <laughs> it you know. uh, um, so I, I'm really relaxed about that and used to my work being thrown in the bin um, so any kind and, and the publishing industry is very polite compared to the media it's very um so that's helpful. And I guess my big, the big, the biggest thing though, is keeping your reader in the forefront of your mind all the time. And I noticed that with journalists who have become writers, um, like Colette Macbeth and Fiona Barton, they have that discipline about them, where it is about, it's not about you, it's not about your ego. In a way, it's not really even about the story you want to write. It, it, it is, but you have to make it work for the other person you have to write the story you would want to read it's not so much the story you want to write but it's the story that you would want to read as a reader the reader's more important than you are and you have to and if your prose is dragging or it's you've got written the whole bit that you love but it's boring to the reader and it slows everything down it's just got to go it's got to you know and not you can't always see that of course as the writer but it's very very good to have the training and the background to appreciate that that is the case and that those things have to go yeah, and that you have to be. I just wanted to write a book that was going to be really fun for people to read, really escapist, a sort of the book that's just easy that you just fall into and you can't put it down because you're just, you really want to know what happens, but also a thriller that is satisfying because the characters feel real. Mm. And, you know, I didn't want it to be like a throwaway book, but I wanted it to be, I wanted it to be feel complex and satisfying, but I also wanted it to be really fun and mm. pacey yeah. and enjoyable to read. And that's the kind of book that I love that combines those things. So that's what I was aspiring to. And I think thinking like a reader is the most important thing. And as a journalist, you, you're trained to do that. That's brilliant. And that, that phrase you use, casting a cold eye on your work. We've spoken to agents on here previously and editors who've said, put it away for six weeks. And then when you yeah. come back to it, but you, as a journalist, you've got, a matter of hours to sort of turn well if not even less than that so yeah, how do you how exactly. do you train how do you train yourself to sort of look at it with that with that cold eye or is it it's just quite hard if you're not if you're if you're a news journalist um you can sometimes you have to sometimes just take two minutes away it's true and then you have to try and cut but you can sometimes it's reading it differently so if you read things out loud it's a very different experience if you read something sometimes you change the font or you check you print it out and you read it, it's a very different reading experience. I mm-hmm. mean, my recent with the other mothers, when it was um typeset, I suddenly saw all these problems with it. Yeah, yeah. You know, just from it being looking suddenly like a book, not problems, but little mistakes. And yeah. um, I hadn't seen them before. I just hadn't seen them when it was in a Word document, which was really interesting to me um, and annoying um, as well. <laughs> but um, 100% when you're writing books, you have to put them away in a cupboard for six months. And I kind of did that without even meaning to because 
like I said, I had this great experience of the agent's day with Faber and the end of my maternity leave. And I managed to finish this very scrappy first draft, but then I had to go back to work and I had to start a new job and I had to do all that. And so the next time I came back to it, I was when I booked some annual leave to kind of look at it again and do an edit. And I came back to it completely afresh and it was so helpful. I mean, it was sort of terrifying because I, you know, when you do that, you do go back to it and you think, oh God, there's, this is awful. Yeah. Um, there's so much that needs fixing, but it's only then you can see it. And then you just do a whole big rewrite. And I actually did that a couple of times because I basically used up all my annual leave on writing. So I was doing, I was kind of moonlighting, you know, cause I was doing my really, really demanding job and had a young daughter. And then I was having to, um, just take annual leave in order to do writing because I could only really do it in a block of time I found um so we didn't really go on holiday for a couple of years um very much at all but it was you know worth it (laughs) absolutely absolutely the other thing I see that you do and you're um a lot of writers I think can learn from this is you will disconnect yourself from the internet when you write you will uh, you know so when it comes to sort of um not just carving out time, but sort of carving out a kind of mental space as well. Is that something you're still doing now? Yes. Um, I do disconnect from the internet. I try to, Twitter's really unhelpful. Mm. Um, uh, to be honest, the Wi-Fi in the British library is terrible. So that's kind of helpful. It's <laughs> um, true. I that's go up and there to work. Um, so yes, I think reducing distractions if you can is really important. Um, I tend to work away from my house just because I think if you're at home and you've got young children, all you can see your in your house is mess, things that yeah. need doing. Yeah. Whereas if I go to the British Library, it's a really studious space, nice space, and I feel like I've commuted to work in a way and I'm yes. going somewhere with a sense of seriousness about this is a proper job. <laughs> it is my job now. You yeah, know yeah, yeah, yeah. Every, it's not just some, some sideline. So I need to um, take it seriously and devote proper working time to it. So I do do that, and I do find that very helpful. Any any tips for getting a seat at the British Library? Because whenever I go there, it's <laughs> rammed. I end up going all the way to the top and then coming all the way back now. I, I think the Wi-Fi will be fine if 3,000 people weren't using it at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I do have a tip, but I don't know if I want to share it. On <laughs> no, fair enough. But... <laughs> <laughs> Tell me afterwards. But it's, yeah. uh, it's a great place to write if you it's can lovely, find a yeah. seat. It's a great yes. space if you can get a seat, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. So what's coming next, Catherine? We've got, you know, we've your debut is Greenwich Park. You've got Other Mothers. What else is, is on the horizon? Yeah, so The Other Mothers is released on the 8th of June. You can pre-order it now. Um, I'm very excited about all that. And then it is released in America uh, later this year as well in December. And then at the moment, I'm working on a third novel, uh, which I can't say much about at the moment, but which I'm very, very excited about. Um, and... I think, you know, this is it's for me, the big the big change has been becoming a writer full time. You know, that's only really happened for me in the last 12 months. I'm still kind of adjusting. So when you were asking right, my tips, I just thought, oh, God, if you knew the chaos in which I exist. But, um, I think that's normal. For, I think that's for me, I'm really excited to be doing some festivals this year. I'm going to be at Bloody Scotland um, on a panel, which I'm really excited about in the summer. I'm going to go to Harrogate for the first time. So, yeah, getting into lots of crime festivals. Um, and um, just trying to meet more readers, meet more authors, and I suppose be a bit more of a kind of yeah professional. <laughs> <laughs> no, you'll have a great you'll have Harrogate and Bloody Scotland, fantastic. You'll have a great time. Yeah. Actually, you mentioned America there. I do just want to ask because I saw in an interview that uh, you went through that pro- process of 
changing pavewalks to sidewalks and bins to trash cans and stuff like that. But the books are written by a Londoner and they're set in London. So, you know, was this kind of a fait accompli? Did you have to do this or was this a concession that you made or how far did you go with that? I think all authors for the American market basically have to do it. In, in With my books, it's light Americanization, So it's not kind of then, I, I think it's very carefully done and my publisher in America are incredible and I did find it strange the first time um and and I sort of thought is this really and I just talked to my agent I said they always do this like do all my pavements have to turn into sidewalks and do all my bins have to turn into trash cans and my agent said well you know if you think she looked at what they'd done and she said you know um you should really see some of my sort of English Victorian novels um (laughs) historical novels that have been sort of um basically it's it's done with the best intention which is to make your book as accessible and meaningful to 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 that market as possible and what is really interesting is we do have such different language and and a lot of the things that they wanted me to change to American words, I didn't understand those American words, you know, like, for example, um, yeah, so, you know, kids have diggers, they play with diggers. So like diggers, like, um, you know, tractors. A tanker toy or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So they wanted to change them to backhoes. I mean, what is a backhoe? I've never heard of a backhoe in my life. Because I kind of thought, oh, I'll understand American words. It's just that they don't understand my American words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But quite a lot of these things I just did not understand. And brand names for, you know, they don't have Calpol. They don't have Calpol over there. What? <laughs> no, they don't have Tylenol. So, I mean, I just, I can't, it was kind of embarrassing how many mentions of Calpol there were in my book. But, you know, it's, it's for parenthood. Any parent um, in the UK, it's, it's like used every other sentence. Yeah. <laughs> So yes, yeah, so there was a lot of Tylenol in in the other mother's right. US version. But you know, um, it's done, like I say, it's it's to make your book accessible to a different marketplace, and uh, it's a form of translation, I guess. And so, yeah, yeah. for me, it was I wanted I wanted readers there to understand and be able to relate to the book. And really, the essentials of the book are completely unchanged. The essentials of the story, and of course, um, and there are certain things that you know wherever I've pushed back, it's been fine. Like I I drew the line at cookies being uh, biscuits being replaced by cookies because they're just not the same. (laughs) And um, also dialogue, you know, all the dialogue is the same. You know, you don't have British characters saying. Gotcha, gotcha. It's just that it's the background, so they so you understand the prose. So it 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 the way that it's been done has actually made total sense to me, and I'm totally on board with it. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. Well, Catherine, this has been absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much for speaking to us, folks. The other mothers, uh, actually, I think by the time this goes live, other mothers should be out now. So grab a copy uh, and Greenwich Park as well. And very much looking forward to whatever comes next. Catherine, great to speak to you. Speak to you again soon. Thank you so much for having me. Wow. Head of news of the Sunday Times. That is a big hitting journalist. Yeah, yeah. it's good stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's absolutely amazing. And and another story, another story of a journalist turned author. It reminded yes. me a lot, actually, of Michael Connolly and Michael Connolly's journey in many yeah. ways. Yeah. I mean, we we we've we've seen that transition quite a few times. It's something we can talk about it more in the extended version because I want to talk about how that journalistic mindset can can help you as a writer and how we can all get that. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 always inspirational to see people kind of um, make that big life change. And I, I'm very aware 
that blokes don't get, I, mean, I mentioned it in the interview, blokes don't get asked things like, well, did your life change when your baby arrived? Women only get asked those questions. But we, Catherine and I spoke about it before the recording and said, look, are you, can, do you want to talk? And she was she was keen to talk about it. So I think, and it is a life change that a lot of people are going to recognise, men and women. Uh, you know, when children come along and ruin your life, um, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it does change every. I was talking to a bloke this morning, uh, a, a director I know, and he's got a, you know a three year old who's now going to nursery, and it completely y- your life is topsy turvy. It's wonderful, wonderful child. You know, it's all great stuff, but you know, trying to find time to work and be productive and be creative is a real challenge. I think it's very underrepresented, underrepresented within writing circles. I think of working mums and working dads. You know, I yep. think these days it's, um, you know, I, I hear more and more of dads staying at home now and it's becoming more common. It's still not not as common as um, the tradition, if you like. But I think it, it it doesn't, it's underrepresentative because it's one of those things where, and I know that we've got thousands of people probably listening right now who are saying, yeah, this is me. I want to write a book. I'm listening to the podcast. Maybe that's all I do each week to engage with the idea of book writing. You know, it's maybe still a dream of mine to write a book. And I can't begin to tell you, Mark, the amount of people I've chatted to in kind of uh, upfront chats with people interested in joining the academy that mm-hmm. are mums and, and a few dads that have said, you know, I'm, I just, I don't know how I can write with this busy life that I've got with young kids or even with older kids or just with lots of kids, you know, if you've got more, I mean, one, one child is, 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 is huge. I mean, I've had three children and I'm still there. Like I'm still, yeah, yeah. I mean, I am that single mum in many ways when it comes to looking after the kids. And, um, I just, I just think that there's a lot more that we can do to help support people in that situation, but it does ultimately boil down to, the situation in many people's lives, whether it's children, whether it's a busy job, whether it's just so many commitments that you have to do, whether it's, you know, making ends meet. Writing, we have to, we have to somehow, if we're in that situation, we have to force writing in. And once we force it in, which can be really hard to do, Mm. once we give it its little space, 200 words a day, whatever it might be, but once we give it that little space, everything kind of shuffles to move around it. And I got the sense that for Catherine, she talked about this idea of writing being a, a place, a mental space for her to go into. Yes. And the thing about this, which I don't think people fully get unless they've done it, is that it's not just about writing to write a book. It's also about what it does for your mental health and what it does to recharge your batteries if you are a busy working person or a working parent. That it, it's you making a declaration to yourself of, look, even though it's only 15 minutes a day that I'm going to give myself, I'm going to do it because it's a way of declaring to myself that this is really important. It's my little gift in the busy week. It's my little gift to myself. It's like going and buying, you know, if you're, if you're into like flower, flowers, for example, it's like going and buying yourself a bunch of flowers or in my case, a, you know, a bag of Maltese or something. But um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's about treating yourself to something that is, is just for you to enjoy. And I think that people miss that in many cases when they're so focused on writing the book, even if you just write and the book, you know, it's not really coming together, but you're giving yourself that gift of writing. It recharges you. It it increases your mental health. It makes you find a little bit of peace in your, in your busy day or busy week. And it's really interesting to hear Catherine talk about that because um, 
once you make the space, once you wedge that little kind of, um, you know, you, we put that wedge in with a hammer, it can start to then grow a little bit. And then before you know it, you're writing a whole book or you're becoming a published author. Mm-hmm. And that's how it starts for me. Absolutely. It's so important to, to, I, I mean, I just remember that certainly the first three years of being a, a parent and then when a the second one comes along, it's, it's, um, you are in danger of losing your mind <laughs> and, and losing your identity. You are suddenly the parent. You are suddenly, yes. and you're, you're kind of thinking, hey, what am I anymore? I was, I was this person. I was that. I was driven. I was, I was, you know, a, a journalist or a writer or a, a singer or whatever, or, a, you know, whatever you were beforehand. And suddenly you're just the parent. So, um, the writing, if, if anything, is even more important when you're a parent because it's part of your identity. It's part of who you are and it's part of your voice. We always talk about voice when we talk about writing. And it's, it's if you can keep that active, I think you're much more likely to cling on to your marbles through the whole experience. Oh, well. I completely agree. And I think as well that if you write whilst you're going through it, you're it's like journaling. Have you ever tried journaling about last week? Mm, yeah, you can't, can't remember. remember the emotion yeah. of what you remember the facts of what happened, but you can't remember the emotion. Whereas if you ever write, read a journal entry that you did in the evening when you've had a really bad day, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like the, the emotion is there. And so use, use the busyness, use the craziness of your life to make your book phenomenal because that's what connects with people. I also, it's interesting as well, Mark, cause I know that we both, we're both going through this as parents. It's, this sense of this feeling of um, empty nesting. So I'm 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 a I'm about uh, two months away from my second of my three kids leaving home, right. and I'm very lucky to have a third one who's going to be around for a, for a few years longer. But it's the tipping point for me. Like we, I had three at home, and I'll only have one at home, and so it's this weird sense of like, oh my gosh. I have to start to reclaim, I have to start working towards reclaiming my identity of who I was before I had kids. Because you're so right. When we become parents, because kids need shout louder than everything else, we need to be there for them. We need to drive them to their clubs. We need to pick them up from school. We need to help them when they're struggling. We need to feed them, bathe them, clean. I mean, it's just relentless. And and we do, our identity becomes a parent. And that's actually why a lot of... um, Oh, it breaks my heart, but I've heard lots of stories of couples who, when this, when their final child leaves, the, the couple look at each other and say, oh, who are you? Who the hell are you? <laughs> and, yeah, it's true. And you know what? It's really sad, Mark, but yeah. we had some Sorry, friends. Sorry, I shouldn't laugh, but no, I've, quite, I've, no, no, I mean, I'm not, I mean, yeah. it is, it's, it is funny, <laughs> but the sadness in it is that I've had quite a few friends of mine that have broken up once the kids left home because they lost, they lost their identity yeah. as a couple. I've, because they both became co-parents and they had this role. I'm tag team one, tag team two in our case when, you know, when we had that. Um, And it is about having to rebuild your identity or rediscover the identity that you had before. Now, writing for most of us was happening before we were parents. It's not something new that we start. I mean, we were all writing at school. We all did creative stories at school. So it's it's not something that we're kind of start, starting fresh and going, oh, I think I want to become a writer. It's often something that's been stopped. It's like our book, Back to Reality. It's the giving up. In fact, everything we're talking about, Mark, is a Back to Reality thing. Just one it? big about, plug for Back to Reality. It actually is, isn't it? <laughs> it's about what it, the whole theme of the story is, sacrificing you know, your dream for, for, for your parenting, for parenthood. Yeah. Yeah. And it, we can't stress enough 
this journey that we have to start transitioning to as our kids get to that place of leaving home. Now, for everyone who's got young kids and they're thinking, oh, that's miles away, believe me, it goes faster Blink, than you can ev yeah. ever imagine and it gets yeah. quicker. So um, on that note, we should also talk about something Katie mentioned, which was working away from home. She talked about going to the British Library. And I really, really, really like that idea. We've always talked about creating a space in your home or if you're lucky enough to build something in the garden or have a little shed where you go right. But removing yourself, if you're a parent and you're in the home full-time, you're now working from home full-time, which I think, you know, something like 33% of people are now working from home after COVID, which is huge. Getting outside of the house actually can be really important for getting a different perspective for your writing and getting the space to write. Completely. Uh, funnily enough, the local water authority here has blamed people working from home for water shortages in the UK. Wow. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, don't get me started. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I, th I know lots of writers. I'm lucky enough to write here. But, you know, I today I was meeting someone at a cafe uh, and before they came along, I was doing a little writing there. And it's, it is nice just to get a shift away from, from your usual space. And when I was... Uh, working full time, I would always get out of the office because I, I didn't want to write at my office desk. I would go out of the office and I, I used to write at the Curzon Cinema in, in uh, Soho and go into their basement where I knew I could have a cup of tea, a little bag of uh, chocolate covered raisins and oh. get a good solid sort of hour of writing done without being dis disturbed. And it was great. I put on a lot of weight. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> But it was it was great. I, I, that's how I wrote Robot Overlords. In you know that's that's how I knocked out the first draft of that. So um, yeah, it it can be hugely important. And, and the thing is, if you are a parent, I think we had this we had this with Katie Ford uh, last week. She was saying you know she would come home from dropping the kids off at school, and immediately there's a pile of washing. There's the washing up to do. There's this to there's this to do. There's that to do. Whereas if you can just delay that for a little while. You know, go via uh, the cafe or via the library on the exactly. way home, right? Or sit like, in the car. Come back to what you're saying. Treat yourself first. You know, treat yeah. yourself to that thing, and then that stuff, you know, can come. I love it. I love it. I think as Easier well. Easier said than done. I appreciate well, it. it we, I, know, I know lots of listeners will be rolling their eyes, but you know, it's up to you to shape your day and make but, those choices. And, and and you know, it's but it's you know tricky. what, Mark? Do you know what? The laundry can wait 15 minutes. We're not talking about taking the weekend off or the week mm. to write. 200 word challenge is about 15 minutes a day, roughly on average. The laundry can wait for 15 minutes. The dishes can wait for 15 minutes. But get this, if you do the dishes after you've done your 15 minutes of writing, what are you going to be thinking about when you do the dishes or the it's, ironing? You're going to be, I, you're going to be continuing that you, you get a little bit of a warm up few words written down. Oh, that's a really interesting idea. And then you spend the next hour developing the plot in your head, which is, which is putting another hour of time in your book. That is exact. I mean, I don't want to brag, but I've got that down to a fine art because I'm, I'm the, I'm the now at home person. Claire goes out and works now and I'm the one at home. You're the home so husband. I, yeah. And I, I write first thing in the morning. I'm lucky enough to be able to do that. And then once she's gone to work, I've finished. And then I do a few chores and that's exactly what's happening. It's all ticking away in the back of my brain. And then I come back and might make some more notes or whatever and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, so it's some, um, it is very much a uh, simmering in the background kind of thing yeah. that's, that's, that's happening, you know. Do you know what, Mark? I've suddenly realized when we've been banging on 
um, particularly me, about this idea of people get trying a writing habit first thing in the morning, I realized this is a big part of the benefit you get doing that. Because if you write first thing in the morning, you've got the rest of the day for your conscious mind to kind of think about, and your subconscious yeah. mind, to think about your story. If you write last thing at night when you're tired and you're, you're up against going to bed and trying to stay awake, now there is something to be said that you then spend your sleep time subconsciously working through plot and you wake up the next morning and you go, oh, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think that both both work and both you have to decide what works for you. In fact, just this Monday, we had an academy life coaching session and one of our amazing academates, who's actually a screenwriter for like films like Happy, uh, worked on films like Happy Feet and some pretty major stuff, you know what I'm talking about. Um, he said he, he's been trying to do it right in the morning and he's really struggled. Um, and the only time he gets is in the evening right now, but he's working towards becoming a, a morning writer eventually. But um, so there's benefits to both. But I, I personally think that if you if you bank those words in the morning, you've, you, you're getting a free what, yeah. 12 hours of thinking and ideas and having your radar open. Because it's the other thing. When you yeah. go to bed and sleep, yes, you dream and you have some crazy ideas and stuff come up. And you might wake up at three o'clock in the morning and write them all down. Brilliant. Yep. But when That's you me. go out into the world <laughs> or you watch the news or you chat with your family and you're doing stuff – that's when ideas and new things can present themselves, when you're actively awake. And if you bank your words in the morning, you get the bonus of having all that time for the rest of the day for those beautiful things, the happy accidents, the in random thoughts, the connecting thoughts to come into your mind. So can't stress enough how important this is. Yeah. It's interesting. No. Yeah. Now, disconnecting from the internet, I guess leaving home is a way of kind of doing that. But have you ever tried that, Mark? Have you ever tried just like, like literally cutting off your internet access at the beginning every of your morning. writing session. Every morning. Is that what you do? I do it. Yeah, yeah. I've got an app here. Well, I don't cut it off because every now and then I have to look something up, which I know I shouldn't, but yeah. I do. I've well, that's got why an I app think here. it's so powerful. Yeah, I've got an app here called Forest. I'm sure I've mentioned this oh, before. Oh, I've heard about Forest. Yeah. Where you, you, you plant trees mm -hmm. um, uh, for every sort of half hour. So I focused for an hour and 35 minutes today. That's an hour really? and 35 without looking at the internet. Uh, and here's my forest. So my forest so far this year, hang on, bear with me. Uh, I've focused for 254 hours and 16 minutes. Wow. I'm most, I'm most focused on a Tuesday. Huh. Uh, and yeah, I'm most focused at eight o'clock every morning. So yeah, so it's, it's good. It's, 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 um, it does. I, I, I mean, look, I, weirdly, we spoke about this on, uh, because I have the Wednesday surgery uh, in the academy, and we were talking about finding this focus. And I said, look, there's no one just sits down, opens a laptop and starts typing. That, you know, you'd have to be an Android to do that. I will sit down, I'll open it up, and then I will put the app on. In the course of putting the app on, I'll go, oh, there's a message from, there's a message from Mark DeVoe. What's that? Oh, it's about Glastonbury. I'll, I'll, I'll reply to that later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but so there are distractions. You have to ease yourself into it. But once the app is on, and I put the do not disturb thing on as well, the function, um, which means I don't get any pings or anything like that. Mm. Now, there is usually a point about 40 minutes in where I might hit a wall, I might get stuck, I'm staring out the window, you know, and you can drift. I've also got this app called Merlin, which does records, but identifies bird sounds. <laughs> Okay, where's this I, going? I, I know, I've literally just, just got, heard a bird I, outside my window as you said that bizarrely. I, I've got I've got the window open because it's so hot. So I I did spend ten minutes the other day recording birds and going, oh, 
the common chaffinch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Are you officially becoming a bird spotter, Mark? I might be, yeah. Oh, wow. So, you know, I, I get distracted like anyone, but the, the goal for me is to achieve that kind of um, liminal state where I'm just focusing on the words and nothing else. And uh, I, I, I get there every day. There's some days it's like I've been to another world. And I'm not kidding. It is like yeah. uh, it's like meditation. It's like coming yeah. out of a warm bath, you know, a hot bath Brilliant. or a sauna or whatever. So, you know, those are the good days. But it's that thing, building a habit, getting into the – the more you get into that state, the more your mind gets used to it. God, I'm starting to sound like you. If, if hey, me you know six years ago could listen to this, you'd be going, who the hell are you? <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> ah, it's all rubbish. Do I? Do, I, do we need to have to switch places? Yeah. Ah, get yourself a copy of Fortran magazine like – it's it's just brilliant and but it's so true and i do think i i i mean i've i practice meditation i practice yoga a lot and i've experienced that the more that you do it the quicker and easier it is to get into that state mm-hmm. like if i if i want to get into a meditative state now and i just give myself permission to just like stop doing stuff which is quite rare these days i can go deep really quickly 10 years ago I'll be sitting there fidgeting, kind of, oh, kind of and and it, it's a it's it's like every sport you ever try, it's every skill you ever do. It's like trying to learn how to be a better writer. This getting into this state where you, can, I think, you can access this. I call it an infinite ocean of creativity, Mark. But we won't go into that because I know that'll no, probably. Let's, I, do I, I probably have to now start <laughs> notching this up to. Re- I'm like, what? What can I freak Mark out now with my language? But, but no, there is. There's this kind of. There is this kind of sense that the, the creativity's out there, and we can all go with either with a thimble or a bucket. Help yourself, folks. There's enough for everyone out there. What do you want? And you know, when you start going deeper, you start going with your bucket, and then you know, you then connect a hosepipe to it. And I just, I just think that there's. There's a lot that we don't understand here, but it's hearing you talk about it, it totally resonates with me because that's what I have experienced in, in many different ways, whether it's track and field, you know, in that kind of state of mind before a race or, or whether it's meditation or just getting getting into that place of flow with writing. It's There's something there. And if people are listening to this going, oh, I've never experienced that, trust us, it exists. Everyone can access it. It takes a bit of practice and discipline and actually a bit of belief that it does actually happen. And hearing you talk about it, Mark, is great because, you know, I mean, you're, you're the poster. I'm the most, I'm the most cynical I'll get out there. Well, but exactly. No, if, if it would happen for you, Mark, I mean, just imagine, right? All I've, I mean, I've, I've just described it as my happy place in the past, and it is. It is my Yeah, it's whatever word. Know. The trouble is we all get so lost in words, and words scare people, and words are sometimes a bit mystical and strange. And, and I think we call it whatever we want to call it. But when we experience it, we know that it exists. And whatever whatever the language that works for you is the most important thing. But experiencing it, that's that's the whole point of showing up, right? And when it happens, it's like, like you say, it's like coming out of a warm bath. It's magical. And I bet when you have those sessions, Mark, you write your best work, right? Well, opinions are different. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, mean, you know, most of the I'm time, a, it's, yeah, good, it's, a, it's more often I, good uh, good that a good writing Goodera. session compared to Goodera. like oh that's a pile yes. rubbish yeah no it is is more often goodera that's goodera you see, you um, but look i mean it's it i actually think it's nothing to do with the quality of the words it's part of the process because i'm in first draft land at the moment and a lot of what i'm going to write is going to be rewritten so it's not perfect it's not great but i'm just happy to be here you know and it's uh it's it's the thing i i love doing most
don't squander those opportunities, folks. You know, they're out there for you to take. You've also just said a word, Mark, which I, I want to, I want us Good to claim right now on the podcast. <laughs> the word is draftland. I love it. <laughs> first draftland, yeah. Not then even second... first draftland. It's like draftland. It's like I'm the, in draftland, the, yes. Draftland. It sounds like some HBO series, but I think <laughs> we should claim that as the stage of writing that all of us are in until we get to the point where we've finished all of our drafts. So we, we're all in draftland. So let's all just use start using the word draftland. I think it's it's okay so to I... allow ourselves to be in that space. If I ever become one of those writers who does a how to write a book book, I think I'll call it Draftland. Oh. <laughs> Stay claims it instantly. Boom. Yep. I think Trademark. I think I think it's good though because I think it, it reminds us that it's drafting. It's not perfection. It's experimenting. Uh, it's playing with words. It's seeing what happens. Love it. Um, let's talk about a light Americanization because that was another thing. That, <laughs> I, I love that term. And it's a different way of kind of looking at converting, not converting, but but tweaking your book just for a different audience rather than thinking you have to rewrite the whole thing so it makes sense to someone in a different culture or language. Yeah. I mean, C Catherine said that everyone does this and they don't. They don't. Um, but I think if you are writing a commercial thriller, that is going to that the publisher is going to go big with in the states then it is something that happens and i know we've got someone in the bxp team and i won't mention them because they haven't announced their deal yet who's just gone through this and i was getting messages from them saying is this normal to change this this and this uh, and i think if you're doing a, a kind of a commercial thriller then a light dusting of a, of american terms is kind of inevitable it just annoys me it doesn't happen the other way around. You know, I was just going to ask that question. Yeah. Does it happen yeah. the other way around? It doesn't, does it? No, it really does. I mean, you know, you and I, we grew up reading Stephen King and, and all these American authors, and we'd read them, and there'd be all these things that we didn't know about, and we'd go and look them up. You know, that's. Yeah. Uh, but then the thing is, America's a massive market, and American readers are used to, you know, having this done for them. So I don't think it's going to change overnight. But, you know, we're back to reality. We put oh, I just, I've just opened we? it yeah. up because yeah, yeah, at yeah, the back, yeah. see, we, we did have this debate like about Americanization because our book ironically is set in the UK and the US. And what we ended up deciding to do for anyone watching this on YouTube at the back of our book, there is the glossary for non-Brits and yeah. out the gate, we start with Marks and Spencers and the Colin, the Caterpillar cake. And there's a whole <laughs> paragraph about the history of that. And how often... Does the Colin the Caterpillar cake come up in the All BXP the time. team? All once the a time. week. Once a week at least. Yeah. And hobnobs, chocolate hobnobs. hobnobs. Yeah. I mean, it's it's you make a thing of it. I mean, you must have seen Queeve, Queeve McDonald, friend of the podcast, longtime supporter of the podcast, who are a massive best-selling author. Uh, in one of his books, he put a thing about using S's instead of Z's in his words. And he said, even though this is set in America, I'm Irish. And I don't want to upset my Irish mother. And it's gone viral. <laughs> it, it crops up every week in every kind I of, you know, it, and it's brilliant. But, you know, so he has said to his audience, look, Americans, uh, this book's, you know, you might don't start giving me one star reviews because I use S's instead of Z's because I'm Irish. You know, this is how I write yeah. kind of thing. So you can have a statement of intent like that or you can have a glossary. But I think if you're working with a major traditional publisher who is going to try and sell it across all of the states, which could result in tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of copies of the book being sold, then yeah. maybe you need to go, oh, 
okay, well, I'm going right. to give on Fair this enough. one a little bit. Yeah. And I think I think what's great is that Catherine didn't change the dialogue. You know, she wasn't going to have the characters suddenly using Americanisms, although we use a lot of them anyway. Um, just the prose, just the descriptive prose, you know. Yeah. And she drew the line at biscuits, which I salute her for. Absolutely. Yeah, there's some things you just should never cross the line <laughs> exactly, over. Exactly. Yeah, so, I mean, and if you're self-publishing and you think, well, I can't, you know, I can't af- spend the time or afford to, like, two two different versions of the book, which is a, which is a reality for many people. Oh, yeah, Do what yeah, we did, be. like, create the Glossary of Brits. I mean, in our book, we've got... Uh, if you want to learn about what these things are, if you're if you listen to this outside the UK, you might be interested in finding out what Waitrose is, uh, what we mean by yonks, uh, the Duke <laughs> of Edinburgh Award, Barnet, yeah. Nando's, Fascinators, and the word, the great British word, lag. Love lag. it. So you know that's all in our glossary. So check out the book if you want to come. I, I did have, have to. Like after listening back to the interview, I did have to look up what a backhoe was. I wasn't familiar with that. Oh, yeah, either, no, so. I've heard of a backhoe. Yeah, yeah. so a backhoe, B-A-C-K-H-O-E. And it's it's basically a digger truck. It's yeah. what we do over here. Because over here we have a place called a Diggerland, which is in Kent, not too far from me. I think there's one up north as well, where you can go and play in all the diggers. It's brilliant. Uh, so, um, yeah. Backhoe, la- backhoe land doesn't really Sounds- work, does it? Doesn't, that doesn't translate <laughs> to the UK either. <laughs> for reasons. Anyway, moving, moving quickly, swiftly, on, folks. swiftly on. This is a family show. Um, <laughs> let's, we're going to have a great chat in the extended about some really fascinating things that came up in the interview with Catherine Faulkner. Uh, we're going to talk about casting a critical eye of your work. You know, what, we can, what we can learn from the demands of journalism and how we all as authors need need to develop those calluses and the skill to do that and also about how to keep readers in the forefront of our minds as we write our book um, writing the story that that uh, we want to read um, and thinking like a reader these are this is gold dust folks so seriously please do join us uh, we'll talk about the um, the idea of kind of printing out work using tricks and um, we're going to share some extra tricks of, of you know, how you know you can when you're going through editing your book how you can kind of disconnect from you know the original document that you wrote so if you would like to join us uh, to hear about that and more then please pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support become a patron and you will get access to all of the extended editions of this podcast so mark before we dive into the wins um one thing we didn't mention is uh you know catherine talked about this amazing structure and accountability that the academy she joined was a part of and yep. um we did do a bit of research and just for people that are interested in in that the structure and accountability that an academy can give i just wanted to mention that the bestseller academy is about 12 times less expensive <laughs> the other then there are other academies absolutely um and one of them got a very big plug today but there are other academies and uh yeah so if you're interested in finding out more about that that's academy.bestsellerexperiment.com is that cheeky of me to say that mark i know i, I love it i love it mark, <laughs> to do. i mean look you know it's it, they're all we're applying the same principles this accountability the structure you get one-to-ones with us, you know, so it's... Yeah. Uh, You've got yeah, communities yeah. of different writers from different genres that you you, you, yeah. you you get to know and learn together. You're on a common mission. It's all good stuff, but uh, yeah. Absolutely I, I, did, I, I, did, I did have a look, and when I saw what they were charging, I was like... <gasps> yeah, bit of an intake of breath. Sorry, Faber. So, folks, <laughs> let's, let's dive in, Mark, and talk about this week's wins. Oh, boy. Well, listen, our episode with J.D. Kirk... Episode 456 uh, is just the gift that keeps on giving. So you remember we, you know, we had Ed uh, last week talking about how he realized 
that he had aphantasia. Uh, we've had a couple of other listeners as well get in touch. So uh, Sarah Zeman, who I gave us that poem a few weeks ago, she said, uh, she says, really enjoyed this episode. My aphantasia is not quite total. I dream in pictures and when dropping off, I can see things vaguely, but I'm jealous at how prolific it's made Barry. It makes me good at dialogue though, I think, because I always thought mind's eye, she says, I also, also always thought mind's eye was a, was a figure of speech. So again, just uh, amazing that it's, it's touching all these listeners. Um, Anastasia Gammon uh, on Twitter, who is at Stasia Writes, she said, would you believe me if I told you that listening to this episode is what made me realise that other people can actually see things in their mind and apparently I have aphantasia because that's exactly what happened. Uh, and she goes on, I said, look, thanks for letting us know. Do you think knowing this is going to help with your writing from now on. And she says, I've always struggled with descriptive writing and often completely forget to describe places at all. So now I know this is probably why I'll definitely have it in mind. Also, I think I can now officially say that making Pinterest boards for projects is not procrastination. That's another thing Brilliant. spoke about. So yeah. listen, this is the episode is that's huge. Just changing lives, isn't it, man? Wow. It's, it's, it's opening people's brilliant. eyes. So if anyone out there, again, has, I mean, Barry, who writes as J.D. Kirk, uh, he's been great as well. He's been replying to these people on social media. And we're seeing a kind of solidarity there as well, which I absolutely love. So if, if you think this is um, this is you, this has helped you, let us know. We, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, other people as well. Uh, your superpower, Mr. D., uh, Paul Garner on Twitter, who is at GrubleSign65, said, that episode was fascinating. Thank you. I developed the skill of being able to block my nose, i.e. engage the flaps and not taste to survive the 1970s school dinners. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. Cabbage, cabbage, semolina, all that. Oh, gosh. That's amazing. So there's three of us now. Yeah, well, we can. We, we need to. We need to obviously form a little club. If anyone else wants to join the... Uh, the super nose flappers. <laughs> I can't believe I said that. I'm gonna, there's certain things. There's certain ways of describing things uh, that I've 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 just grabbed in the moment on the podcast, and that's one I think I'm going to regret in 20 years from now when it probably becomes a Wikipedia entry. It's no draft land, is it? As, it's no draft land. <laughs> I was <gonna> say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. Oh, I'm glad I'm not alone, though. I'm feeling, I'm it's feeling good. like, uh, yeah. yeah. It's brilliant. what this podcast is all about. Uh, I had a lovely, lovely tweet from Diane Wordsworth, who's been doing the 200 Word a Day Challenge. Uh, she said, oh, no, I'd lost 31 words today during final revisions, but Diary of a Pussycat, a year in the life of a freelance writer, is uh, now finished and cooling ahead of proofreading. I love that, cooling ahead of proofreading. She's baked a book. Uh, uh, so, Diane, I just want to say... That editing, we have the what's the exchange rate for editing again, Mr. D? Is oh, it, it's uh, uh, twenty. It's twenty minutes of editing is the equivalent of two hundred words. Two hundred words. So yeah, ap apply that. But Diane goes on. She says, "I wouldn't have finished it yet without the two hundred words a day challenge." So, um, we're getting these every week now. But it's hey, again, is that a non-fiction book? It is a non-fiction. It's a non-fiction book. book. Well, there what are we the chances? Yeah. So maybe, well, maybe there is something in this, Mark. Maybe mm, I should. I think there is. I think there is. Yeah. Um, but, uh, uh, Tammy Mercer Gervais, who's part of the uh, BXP group on Facebook, she said, I have nowhere else to share this with, so I'm sharing it here with the other writers. In April, I attended a one-week writing retreat where I experimented with a few dictation apps and settled on a basic system that I could use on my phone. I then attended a a dictation webinar and as part of that I learned about morning pages to build the habit and today was day 61 of dictating morning pages some days I make it make time to transcribe but not every day that's the next part of building the habit I dictate between 
805,000 words each day. And wow. this has become my morning routine. And Tammy is, you know, was part of the whole 200 words a day challenge. And that counts. Dictation counts. That's oh what I gosh, want to say. Words. Uh, yeah. And Tammy's saying, I'm feeling pretty good and just wanted to share. Listen, uh, this is, and, and what's interesting is other people in the group came aboard. Ian W. Sainsbury, award winning author, uh, came in and he said, you know, he uses dictation. I think Queeve uses it as well. So, yeah. and as AI sort of makes this thing more user friendly, I think we're going to be seeing a lot more dictating from author. So, Tammy, you're ahead of the curve thing. Yeah, that's right. I want to know from Tammy, maybe Tammy can report back 5,000 words. How, what is that? What's the exchange rate in dictation? Like, how, how long did you speak for to get 5,000 words? Because right, that's yeah, phenomenal. Yeah. I bet you it's a lot quicker than if you wrote it. There is actually yeah. some kind of stat out there, I should probably dig it out, uh, which is, you know, speed of dictation versus the speed of writing. I think it's multiple times, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah. well, we'll find that stat for you by the end of the show. Brilliant. I had a lovely, lovely win from uh, Poppy T. Perry uh, on, on in the BX, uh, BXP group. It's actually Natalie Perry, who long-term listeners will know. Natalie helped me around a children's writers conference many years ago in the podcast. And she sort of mentioned, oh, I'm writing and I'm an illustrator and, you know, and what's great is we've seen uh, her journey as a writer just blossom and blossom and blossom. And just this week, uh, she's launched her own website. She went on the group. She asked for advice. People gave her all kinds of advice. And today, poppytperry.com went live. And she said it was tough, devoured many hours, but it's done. She even wrote a blog about building the website. And it's, and I tell you what, the co- the colors, you can tell she's an artist. The color is one of the most vibrant author websites I've ever seen. So I'm going to pop a link uh, in the show notes to that. And I know, I can't say much more, there's more to come from Poppy T. Perry in the future. This is uh, this is one of our listeners who's been with us from pretty much the beginning. They're evolving and they're becoming something amazing. So uh, this is this is why we do this, isn't it, Mr. Z? Absolutely brilliant. Fantastic stuff. I have actually just found out, Mark, as well, that uh, this is a very rough science here, but it takes about five minutes to read a thousand words aloud so not 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 dictating in your head but if we do the exchange rate with the say 20 minutes 15 to 20 minutes for 200 words that is five to no hang on what's that thousand words I can't even do the math. Hang on. Man does maths on podcast. It's uh, award-winning <laughs> it's stuff. A new, it's, it's a new segment. Okay, 200 words, 1,000 words, that would be Carry the an line. hour and 40 minutes versus five minutes of reading. Now, reading words, but obviously it's going to be slower if you're thinking of what you're going to be saying. Yeah, yeah, so let's double yeah. it. So let's call it roughly 10 minutes for 1,000 words versus an hour and 40, which gives us a multiplier mark of... Don't ask me. I don't do maths. Yeah, 10. (laughs) 10 to 1. I know that's probably not exact, but just to give us an idea, we're talking of multiples maybe up to 10 times the amount of output if you get really good at it. And I know with dictation, it's one of those practices. We talked at the beginning of the show about practicing getting good in it. You get better with dictation the more you play with it. First time you do it, and I think this is a problem, the first time people do it, it's, it's, it's really weird and it's hard. And I've done it and tried it and it just feels awkward. But once you get used to doing it, you get better at it and you get more refined. So, yeah. More stories on your dictation successes, please. More wins. 
Yes. If you want to get in touch, we're on social media. Uh, Facebook, we are Bestseller Experiment. Twitter and Instagram, we are at Bestseller XP or pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com. There's a contact tab there. You can email us directly. And if you've been inspired by Catherine or any of our authors or any of our listeners or any of the amazing stories, please subscribe, rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Uh, as always, thanks to our editors, Dave and JD. Brilliant stuff. And if you are interested in joining the Academy folks, uh, down the road, there's going to be a webinar coming up and also the opportunity to get a one-to-one with me uh, mm-hmm. doing a mini coaching session and uh, telling you more about the Academy. So if you're interested in doing that, pop along to um, academy.bestsellerexperiment.com and send your details to us through the contact. It's, form. it's a sound investment. You won't be squandering anything. It's, absolutely. It's, it's, yeah, it's, absolutely. You know, it's an investment in yourself. Totally. Brilliant stuff. And if you want to try the 200 word challenge, you simply go to 200wordchallenge.com, sign up. Can you write uh, 200 words a day for seven days? That's the initial challenge that we've set you all. Um, and who knows what might happen? You may even develop, like many, many of the writers listening to this podcast, the writing habit of a lifetime. So, Mark, have a great, great writing week. You too, sir. Enjoy the warmth of the summer, hopefully, at your end as well. And uh, to everyone out there, Uh, We wish you the very, very best this week. We hope you have your best writing week ever. Why not? Go for it. Yeah. So it's a goodbye from Mark 1. And it's a goodbye from Mark 2, who hasn't forgotten the promise, Mr. Dean, at the beginning of the podcast. So, (laughs) listeners. Brilliant stuff. All right, folks. See you next week. (laughs) Goodbye. Bye. Bye.